the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The history of the English Bible and a guy by the name of William Tyndale. That's all been the subject of our time this week, and it will continue today as we continue our look at the history of the Bible here on Abounding Grace. And again, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We are back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12 as we take a look at a guy named William Tyndale and the Bible and why this man is so significant when it comes to the Bibles that you and I hold today in our hands. Join us for a very encouraging look at the history of the Bible and a guy by the name of William Tyndale. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's Abounding Grace. Let me tell you some of the familiar faces that we just take for granted now. And these are contained in every English version. And God said, there shall be light. And there was light. And God shall wipe away the tears from their eyes. In him we live and move and have our being. Ask And it shall be given you, seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. No one said this until Tinsdale translated it into English. Am I my brother's keeper? Christians are the salt of the earth. Unbelievers are a law unto themselves. And we speak of the patience of Job. Eat, drink, and be merry. Let not your heart be troubled. These are some of the phrases that come right out of Tyndale's translation of the Bible. I want you to see now how refreshing and direct and readable Tyndale's translation of the Bible is. It is as understandable as any modern translation of the Bible, and maybe even more so than some. I'm going to read to you now from Professor Sir Christopher Zeman's article, who is principal of Hereford College at Oxford. He said, A nice example of Tyndale's refreshing translation is the story of the serpent's temptation of Eve. Now he's going to talk about how Tyndale's translation translated this passage from Genesis 3. In Tyndale's translation, the serpent starts off by being deceptively polite. Ah, sir, is what Tyndale's Genesis 3 says as the serpent approaches. And then the serpent immediately undermines God's authority by referring to him as that God, implying that he is just one of many possible gods, and in fact a very silly God for, for forbidding The eating of fruit. Eve falls into the trap 
and assures the serpent that it is only the tree in the midst of the garden that is lethal. This gives the serpent opportunity to criticize God's word. What nonsense, said the serpent. You don't believe all that rubbish. Tyndale didn't, in fact, use those exact words. He translated all those words in one word. Now, you may not know what that one word he used meant, so I need to tell you that first. He used one word to say this. When the woman said, God said you can't eat of this one tree, he had the serpent say, what nonsense, you don't believe all that rubbish. And then Tyndale said, tush, you shall not eat. And then goes on to explain what the serpent thought God's ulterior motive was. By contrast, the dialogue between Satan and Eve in the King James Version is much weaker. It is no way near as colorful or as fresh as Tyndale's. The King James Translation Committee felt that it was sacrilegious to say that God and put it in the serpent's mouth because there was only one God, so the word that had to be removed. Second, they felt it was sacrilegious to ridicule God's word, so tush had to be deleted. The serpent is left saying something very unconvincingly, and you shall not surely die, those placing considerable more of the responsibility for the fall than upon Eve. And by comparison, Tyndale's serpent is much more cunning, and Tyndale's Eve is much more innocent. Now let me read a passage from the Gospel according to John out of Tyndale. I'm going to read John chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Now remember, this was in 1526 when this came out. And I would advise you actually to read along in your version of the Bible. The Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now he used the word that because he understood the philosophers of that day. The word word in the beginning was that word. And philosophy word could mean reason. So he didn't want the people to get the impression that the word, word here, meant reason. He didn't exactly know how to identify it otherwise because he knew the word had to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and that is entirely different subject. And that is an entirely different word than the word meaning reason. So he says that word. In the beginning was that word, and that word was with God, and God was that word. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by it. That jars you, doesn't it? But it lets you know that it's, not, it's talking about the second person of the Trinity. All things were made by it, and without it was made no things that, that made was. In it was life, and life was the light of men, and light shoneth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent by God, and his name was John. The same came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all men that through him might believe. He was not that light, but to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which lighteneth men that come into the world. He was in the world. The world by him was made. 
and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his received him not. Unto as many as received him gave he power to be the sons of God, in that they believed on his name, which was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor yet of the will of men, but of God. And that word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw the glory of it as the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, which word was full of grace and verity, or truth. Tyndale's New Testament, 1526. You can see the power, the freshness, the liveliness of this translation, how popular it would become, and what a tremendous instrument of God in bringing Reformation uh, to England. Tyndale's translation of the Bible would be, and as I said a while ago, neither the church nor Henry VIII wanted an English translation of the Bible circulating around England. So any version of that Bible had to be smuggled into the country. Tyndale's Bible, Wycliffe's Bible, some of Luther's writings were burned in London. Tyndale's writings were charged for gross inaccuracies and poor translation of Greek and English, which, of course, was not true at all. His Bible continued to sell, and he wrote several books on biblical subjects showing himself to be a competent, reformed theological scholar. One of his books, called The Obedience of the Christian Man, was a brilliant defense of the Protestant Reformation. That book was given to Sir Thomas More, who assisted Henry VIII in his attacks on Martin Luther. And Thomas More, in his attempt to discredit the book, said, The book was written by a drunken brute and a servant of Satan. But the good character of Tyndale had already spread far and wide, and people understood what a great and godly man he was. So that was possibly the greatest mistake in the life of Sir Thomas More, attacking William Tyndale, because it discredited More, and he lost whatever following he once had. In 1534, remember, born 1484, Tyndale was hiding in Antwerp, Belgium. The papal network of spies was hot on his trail. They hounded him from one place to another, never able to catch this sly fox until he was finally betrayed by one he thought to be a friend by the name of Henry Phillips. He was arrested and imprisoned in the dungeon of the Vilford Castle outside of Brussels, Belgium, May 1535 until October 1536. There had to be punishment from the church and the state, so he was, as a priest, so he had to be censored and defrocked publicly. And then he had to be punished by the state because he was declared a heretic. And only the state had the authority to burn heretics. But even the Roman Catholic Church burned thousands of people for being Presbyterians and Calvinists throughout Europe. But the Presbyterians, listen, never ever executed anyone for being a Roman Catholic, never. Early in August of 1536, after being arrested in May 1535, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic. A few days later, the pageant of casting him out of the church 
excommunicating him, defrocking him, took place. In the town square, a great crowd gathered, and the great doctors and dignitaries of the church assembled in due pomp and array, and they took their seats on a high platform. Tyndale was led out of prison wearing his priestly robes. He was made to kneel, and his hands were scraped with a knife as a symbol of having lost the benefits of his ordination and his consecration into the priesthood. The bread and the wine of the Mass were placed into his hands and at once withdrawn. This being done, he was ceremonially stripped of his, priestly, his priesthood clothing, reclothed as a layman, and he was handed over to the attorney for secular punishment. The church condemned, but always left it to the secular officers to stain their hands with the murder. But for Tyndale, the end was not yet. He was returned to Vilford Castle and for some unexplained reason lived for two more months. A large number of priests and monks by the droves harassed him, visited him, not to console him, but because they were eager to have the claim to be the man who converted Tyndale back to the Catholic faith. But Tyndale was a rock, and as one said, as well moved the castle itself by the drizzle of rain as persuade Tyndale to recant the Reformed faith. So early in the month of October 1536, William Tyndale was led out of the castle toward the southern gate of the town. The sun had barely risen above the horizon when he arrived at the open space and looked over the crowd who were eagerly jostling for a good view. A circle of stakes enclosed the place of execution, and in the center was a large pillar of wood in the form of a cross, as tall as a man. A strong chain hung from the top, and a noose of hemp was threaded through the hole in the upright. The attorney and the great doctors arrived first and seated themselves in state nearby. The prisoner was brought forward, and a final appeal was made that he should recant. Would he yet deny the faith for which so many of his friends had died already? Could he renounce the words he had solemnly declared over the years? Tyndale stood immovable. His keen eyes gazed over the common people whom he pitied for their ignorance. He met the cruel stares, cruel and merciless stare of his judges, and doubtless he pitied them as well. A silence fell over the crowd as they watched the lean form and thin, tired face of the prisoner. His lips moved with final, impassionate prayer that echoed around the stillness of that palace of execution and reached to the God who controls the counsel of men. Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. Tyndale moved toward the cross. His feet were bound to the stake. An iron chain was fastened around his neck, and the hemp noose was placed at his throat. Piles of brush, wood, and logs were heaped around him. The executioner came up behind the stake with all of his force and snapped the noose down around Tyndale's neck. And within seconds, Tyndale was strangled. The attorney stepped forward and placed a lighted torch to the tinder 
And the great men and commoners sat back and watched the fire burn. Not until the charred form hung limply on the chain did an officer break out of the stable to let the body fall into the glowing heat of the fire. And more brushwood was piled on top while the commoners marveled at the patient suffering of Master Tyndale at the time of his execution. And the attorney and the doctors, they moved off to begin their day of work. Now his last words, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. One year later, that prayer was answered. Henry VIII, who outlawed English versions of the Bible, who considered Tyndale a heretic, licensed a new Bible in English called Matthew's Bible, which contained all of Tyndale's translation of the Bible unaltered. As a matter of fact, in the year of Tyndale's death, two Bibles were in circulation legally in England. A Bible by Miles Coverdale and the Matthew Bible by John Rogers. Both of these Bibles contained Tyndale's New Testament virtually unaltered and both heavily depended upon his translation of parts of the Old Testament for their translations. But because Tyndale's name did not appear in either one of them, King Henry VIII authorized their usage and made them legal. Not only that, but on September the 5th, 1538, King Henry ordered every church in England to display an English translation of the Bible in the largest volume it could afford, the cost, of course, being borne by the clergy and the church members. King Henry even ordered the people to learn from heart the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments, the very crime it was in 1519 when seven poor Christian Englishmen were burned at the stake for that. In the year of Tyndale's death, a bishop said, the lay, people do know no, the, the lay people do now know the Holy Scriptures better than many of us. One year later, after his final prayer, Lord opened the King of England's eyes. The King of England thought he was doing this on his own free will. And of course, it is God who moves the hearts of kings, answering Tyndale's prayer. The Lord answered the prayer of the dying Tyndale. All of England had the Bible and plowboys could now read it. The Protestant Reformation was advancing and even persecutions couldn't stop its advance. With this increased Bible reading and Bible preaching and increased influence of the writings of Whitcliffe, Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Knox, Beza, and other English reformers, more and more Englishmen were becoming genuinely Protestant and thoroughly reformed. 75 years after Tyndale's death in 1611, that great homosexual pervert James I of England or James VI of Scotland licensed the King James Version of the Bible, which was 90% pure William Tyndale. That is the King James Bible some of you are now holding in your hands or your lap. The committee who wrote the King James Version, however, refused to acknowledge Tyndale as the source of their translation because he was still considered a heretic. So my dear friend, the King James Version is the greatest piece of plagiarism in the history 
of the world. Translations of part of the Bible into English had taken place as early as 1600. The gospel getting into England in the first century, Wycliffe translating the Bible and preaching the Reformed faith in the 13s and 1400s, Tyndale translating the Bible into English in the early 1500s, and for a quarter of a millennium, England had emphasized to it the sovereignty of the Word of God as a unique source of divine wisdom on all subjects, including politics, and a source that must be opened so that everyone can read it. God was preparing England for the Reformation. Here's an interesting fact. The numbers of Bibles and the New Testament printed in English and in England and, and in England between the Protestant Reformation in the early 1500s and the Westminster Confession, that is 1517 to 1643, is estimated at one million copies. The most popular version of the Bible in England in the late 1500s and 1600s was the Geneva Bible. And it's called the Geneva Bible because it was translated into English by members of English-speaking, of an English-speaking congregation in Geneva, Switzerland, pastored by John Knox while he was studying there under John Calvin. So in the Geneva Bible, you have not only a language that everyone can understand, and much of it is Tyndale, but you also have on both sides of each page a running commentary on various verses that are a reflection of the preaching of John Knox, John Calvin, and the best of other Reformed scholars of Geneva, Switzerland. It was popular. It is readable. A lot of commentaries on the side are significant political and social applications of the Word of God. And between 1560, when it was first published, and 1603, 40 years, it went through 90 editions. But after 1616, when that pervert James I came to the throne of England, it had to be smuggled in from the Netherlands. The reason King James wanted a new English version of the Bible and the King James Version is a great version. It is because he hated Calvinism. Now, I have no problem with the King James Version because it is 90% Tyndale. I just hate the name because of that pervert. And since he was a pervert, I can understand why James I hated Calvinism. And he wanted to wean England off of the Calvinistic post-millennial theonomic footnotes of the Geneva Bible. So he produced a Bible that had no footnotes. Well, it took some time to wean England off the Geneva Bible. But you can imagine the press and the advertisements and the money used to market the King James Version. But if we need to call it anything, we should really call it the authorized version, not the King James Version. And that is what England actually calls it today. But no sooner had the King James Version been translated into English, listen to this, than they started printing it with the Geneva footnotes. One translator of the King James Bible boasted that the word tyrant never occurs in the New Bible, though it is used repeatedly in the, New, in the Geneva Bible. Now, I'm sure you understand why King James would want the tyrant, word tyrant removed from that Bible. By the way, 
America wasn't built on the King James Bible. When the pilgrims and the Puritans came to this country, they brought with them the Geneva Bible. America was built on the Geneva Bible. So you can understand why our American forefathers created the type of government they did that limits the power of civil government. But it is because the church has forgotten its history that we now have the tyranny that we have. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5. And any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program. As this is a listener-supported ministry, we're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408 866-5607. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.